The following podcast is brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team from Curriculum Secondary Learners, Curriculum and Reform Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. The Creative Arts Curriculum Team acknowledges the traditional custodians from here on Darug Country and from all the lands on which you are listening today. We respect the Elders past, present and emerging as we share our creative arts education stories. Welcome to Creative Cast, the official podcast of the New South Wales Department of Education's Creative Arts Curriculum Team. My name is Carolyn Maddock and I'm Relieving Creative Arts Curriculum Implementation Officer. Today's podcast aims to explore the process of devising theatrical works and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Emily Ayub, Theatre Deviser Extraordinaire. Emily is the Artistic Director of Clockfire Theatre, a company she co-founded in 2012 with the intention to create highly visual physical theatre which, having been lucky enough to see myself, is exactly what they do. Emily and her company use a collaborative process to create evocative and highly engaging theatre experiences. She has been influenced in her practice by her study at the Jacques Lecoq School in Paris. Emily is a creator, an educator and an all-round excellent human being. Thanks for chatting with me, Emily. Thank you for having me. Emily, obviously a big reason that we're chatting today is that drama teachers, a large part of what we do is to facilitate students in the process of play building and devising theatrical works. But before we jump into that, tell me a little bit about your journey in becoming a theatre maker. Yeah, so I, I guess straight after high school, I auditioned for what used to be Theatre Nepean, which was part of University of Western Sydney. And I got in and I had three years at Nepean there where I think we did a lot of ensemble-based work. So I sort of got a taste for devising theatre, but it wasn't until I was sort of really out in the industry and I thought this is kind of a, a difficult, it's a difficult life sort of waiting for the phone to ring and and waiting for opportunity to be creative. And I thought, no, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to learn to make my own work. Because that's the main reason why I wanted to work was to be creative. Yeah, so after working in the industry for a bit, I decided to go to Lecoq and I just haven't looked back really. I, there's so many tools that I've taken away from that place that are in my toolkit in terms of creating, in terms of working as an ensemble, um, being a collaborator, and then just also a pedagogical approach to theatre making, which is just worth so much to me. So let's unpack that process a little bit and we'll start at the beginning. What, what is your starting process? When you start out, do you have an idea of what you want the work to be what, when you start? And, you know, do you have an ideal in mind for what the piece should look like or should be? It always comes back to that question of what moves us as humans, so both psychologically but also physically. So uh, I guess our, our process is heavily influenced by the Lecoq pedagogy, which is based around the, the notion that tout bouge, which means everything moves. So we're inspired by movement first, I think, the most. 
And I think we are drawn to and tend to lean in the direction of themes that are slightly absurd and mysterious, but we, we always want to make it our goal to reveal poetically what is unseen through movement. So the movement of a space, the, the movement inside of a text, the movement of colour, movement of materials, the movement of elements. We're always inspired by what the ensemble can do with their bodies first. And, and I guess in terms of how we decide on a concept, concepts usually find us. That's a, a difficult one to explain, but we, we sort of feel like it's quite instinctive. Something sort of pulls at us and then we react. So I suppose we try as artists to keep ourselves in a state of what Lecoq calls disponibility, which is openness, so that we're open to receive on the floor, but also just in life. So yeah, mostly concepts are a bit of a hunch, like a universal hunch for us. Okay. So I guess then if you were giving advice, you mentioned a number of different kind of things that you will explore. So colour, material, element, and and sort of unpack that and look, look at what that looks like as movement. If someone was sort of leading this or facilitating this process of devising, have you got some advice about how to generate ideas and how to start the process? Yes, definitely. I mean, the first thing is to get on the floor and to start moving, but you really need to come from, I guess, a structural a structural point of departure. Otherwise, it's very difficult. You can find yourself in an improvisation that lasts for a long time that doesn't go anywhere. So you need to know what you're looking for, I guess. So, for example, if I... Let's take the example of a painting. Um, if, for example, with our work with The Lost Company, that was inspired by Brett, some of Brett Whiteley's artworks. So what we would do in that process is really unpack his artworks, look at the colours, look at his colour rainbow, look at the dynamic inside of those colours, looking at the painting itself overall, where is the push and pull, where are the diagonals, what's the fixed point, and then from there, we might try and start to move those dynamics and search for the overall, what we would maybe say, the overall gesture of the painting. So if you could sum up the painting in one gesture, what would that gesture be? So it's really working with the chorus as well. And we need to be in a state of complicite, which means a sort of a shared understanding, a, a state of disponibility, which is openness to each other, and also leisure, which is to play. So there's a lot of listening that has to, has to occur, but it's probably taking something that we're inspired by first and trying to move that on the floor. That's probably our initial point of departure. That, that comes, though, after, you know, some of the research that we might do in our own time as well that we might bring to the floor. But certainly once we're in the room together as an ensemble, what we need to do is get on the floor and start to move. So I guess when I'm working with students, I know personally I struggle with the type of students I teach. They want to sit and talk hmm. and they want to talk and talk and talk. And I guess, you know, you've kind of just identified there is obviously a need to for initial discussion and decision-making around, I guess, you know, well, the, you know, what do we want to explore in the first instance? How soon do you think it is important or, you know, how um, quickly are you up? Do you, do you do that research outside the rehearsal room and leave the rehearsal room for practice and for um, movement? 
I'd say it's a bit of both, but absolutely. Like I think as you know, you can tend to get sort of bogged down into talking about concepts and talking about ideas, but you've got to try those things to know if there's anything in them. Something that is on paper is very different to once it's physically moved. You can have a really good idea in your head of how it could look and how it could work. And then once you actually try it, there might not be anything in it that is worth, you know, investigating further. And for us, because our writing is based on improvisation, we write via a process of improvisation that really can only be done once we're on the floor. So, you know, that's not to say that we don't bring writing to the floor. We absolutely do that. But most comes out of the improvisation itself. So we work in a way where we start with silence because the idea is that there is so much that is unsaid before anything is said there's so much that is there to unpack before we start to talk and I think with improvisation you know the danger can be that everything is said and then there's no play so we're looking for those moments before someone opens their mouth to speak and then what text can what text comes out of that as opposed to what text do we put on top of that so it's really working from yeah the body out and I think that if we we get into those those dangers too where we sit around and we talk too long <laughs> and then we sort of think, oh, you know, we get on the floor and there's nothing in it. So, th- But those are always reminders to us to actually just get up and try and see what works. And, and also in our, in our work, because we work through a process of intensive collaboration, it means that every ensemble member is a writer of the piece. So, of course, we have someone who leads the process, usually like a director and, and that, that sort of that responsibility of like, oh, come on, let's get on the floor, sits with that person. But each ensemble member is researching in their own time. Everyone's making offers on the floor. Everyone's responsible for the writing of the piece, including the designer, the sound designer, the performers. It really is like a, a, a big process of collaboration. If the designer brings a provocation in for us to try, then we need to try that on the floor. We can't assume that that's just going to work. And it's the same with the sound. Often the sound designer will observe what we're making and we'll send them clips of what we're doing. And then they might work, they will work specifically from that stuff in order to kind of form their own interpretation of the work. Okay, thanks. The one thing you mentioned there was the sending of the clips, because I, I guess the next stage then would be, you know, you're, you're in improvisation and something works, you know, something kind of jumps out, there's a little interaction. And obviously, because that has been improvised, you then need to somehow do that again. So how, how what, what's the next step then, I guess? So something's worked in improvisation, how do you lock that in and then kind of continue to build on that? If finally we, we land on something where there's play, then we would keep, we would continue unpacking it and we would work through repetition. We would keep searching in that moment to see where else it could take us. And then, you know, we would store it in our memory bank and in our toolkit and we would know, okay, that's, we've got that, you know. It's not like we, we create various moments and then try and cobble them together, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess... it's like writing a play in the sense that we try and we try and write but just from the floor so we might we will do it sort of in a in a linear way otherwise 
we might it might become a bit kind of hodgepodge, you know, all over the place and we don't quite know what our through line is. So it really is sort of always coming back to what are we trying to say? What's the through line? What's the fixed point of this piece? What story are we trying to tell? So once we've got a moment, you know, we just continue to work from that moment and we always come back to that moment, if that makes sense. And then mm. nothing is ever locked in place. It's not like we've found that and that has to stay now. It's that, you know, we might come back to it in a couple of days and it might have lost something, but something else has sort of elevated. So mm-hmm. then we might move more in the direction of that new thing that we found. So it's quite an instinctive thing. It's not something where we, you know, where we lock it in and then we move on and then, you know, it's, it d- does get a little bit more like that towards the end once we feel like we've got enough material. But, yeah, certainly in the early days it's, it's like a, it's evolving constantly. It's constantly moving. When you're working, I mean, obviously you've done this a number of times now and produced works from this process, what have you kind of identified as the biggest hurdles to, to that creative process? Um, and I guess then how do you overcome those? I guess always it's clarity, you know, coming back to being specific about what we're trying to say, that things need to be clear. There has to be finding a logic to how the space operates and how the story operates. That can mean it's abstract but and it can be absurd, but it has to come from a place of truth. So I think... We often describe our processes a lot of like trudging through the mud. There's a lot of mud. There's a lot of being lost. There's a lot of searching and searching and searching. And then up, we found something. And then we sort of, you know, as soon as we found something, then we try and we try and unpack that as far as we can. The the main hurdle is just the process itself is just being on the floor and and being lost and being okay with being lost and Mm. being okay with the work not being strong, being okay with the fact that it feels like we're not creating, you know, nothing is coming, all those unknowns of making art and wrestling with yourself about whether, you know, the concept that you had was there's even anything in it, you have to sort of trust in that stuff. So that's Mm. definitely the hardest part is just, getting the ball rolling in terms of finding play. Finding play is not easy to do, but once you've found it, then you, you know, and, and I think, yes, I've done this enough times now to, to trust the process mm-hmm. and know that it will come, but that it takes time and you can't force it. You just have to, you just have to be persistent with it and patient. So, yeah, and knowing like if we're denouncing something, the denouncement needs to be clear to the audience. So always coming back to, is this clear what we're saying here? What are we saying here? That near enough isn't sort of good enough on that front. And yeah, I guess if we're, say we're exploring the colour blue, is that what the audience is seeing? Are they universally seeing blue or are they seeing something else? So we sort of come back to those, searching for those truths a lot, but we always want to be clear with what we're saying. And that takes time and it takes a lot of work. You, you kind of talked about, you know, the, the mud and, be, and being in the mud. Um, how do you know when to let an idea go that it's just not working? Oh, pretty, I, I would say that's one of the easiest parts of the process. I would say we have no problem with throwing ideas in the bin. It's very much, 
I think that's in our training as well. It's like when you're on the floor in improvisation or you're, you know, you're searching in something more abstract, um, it's knowing when to let go and to move on to something else and to search into something else, you know, and you get quicker at doing that. Um, so, and, and it, it's, it is instinctive. You know when there's something to be discovered. Oh, you know, there's there's play in that or, oh, that's interesting. I do see that city in the way that you're, you know, moving your body or I, if we're working with text, for example, you know, you know, how are we, how are we bringing the text to life as opposed to just describing what's on the page? So I think you get, you get better over time at knowing just to, to move on to something else and to try something else so that you're generating a lot of material. Otherwise, yeah, you get bogged down in the improvisation. You're just searching the same thing, moving in circles. And that, that really goes to the pedagogy as well. Like, you know, even from the simple task of walking around the room, you know, having the awareness of am I just walking in circles at the moment? What is my body doing? Where are the diagonals in the room? Where are the horizontals? Where are the verticals? How can I fill that space over there that's empty? All those questions are all you can apply them to theatre making because you're constantly questioning what you're found, what you're finding and what the process is. But certainly there are times in the ensemble where there is a disagreement over an idea and some of us might feel like the idea is really strong and other others of us might feel like it's not so strong or it doesn't belong, it sits outside. And then that is a rigorous discussion and it's also just justifying our 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 desires to each other for it to either exist or not exist in the piece and then yeah it's a conversation that's led perfectly into kind of one of the final questions I wanted to to look at which is about um, what it takes to be a good collaborator because obviously you know when you're talking about creativity there's a real aspect of of you know your your person, your, you know, what you believe in and what you like. And also, I guess, ego is kind of caught up in that as well. In terms of, you know, that ability to to be able to say my idea is not working seems to be pretty important. What what else, like what, what does a good collaborator look like? To me, a good collaborator looks like someone that is always steps forward. And I mean that in the sense of if the work isn't working, you take responsibility for that too. It's not like, well, that was someone else's idea. You know, like once you're in an ensemble, it's like you are all responsible for whatever is generated. It's not, you know, you don't step backwards and and say, well, you know, like I didn't like that idea in the first place because that's how you, you form, you know, trust between ensemble members and, I think also it's someone that is a really good listener, that someone that's willing to try ideas, someone that's willing to not sit on the fence too much, you know, and probably the most important thing is that they're willing to defend the work, you know, even it might not feel right on the floor, but how do we defend it? How do we, you know, say this is what we've created, we defend this work, you know, that's a really important part of being an ensemble member. I mean, it's not. It's not that different to working as part of a team in a, in a, like a sports team, you know, like there has to be a, a real connection between team members. There has to be good listening. There has to be action, reaction. There has to be that, you know, I defend this team, a belief in the team and what they're making, 
also an ensemble member and a good collaborator is someone that is willing to do lots of different, put lots of different hats on for whatever works at the time. It's not about really how big your role is, I guess, or, you know, it's, it's more about how you can be of service to the work. It's always about the work for us and it's less about, you know, you as an individual, you know, character, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that stuff is all important, but we're all working towards that. I want to make sure if I'm playing one character, I want to make sure the other character is is as strong, if not stronger. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean that I have to be playing them. It's just that because it's about the work, it's about creating, you know, a whole, a whole living, breathing organism rather than little facets within that. Emily, thank you so much. It's been really inspiring talking to you. And there's just some great insights that I'm going to take away and definitely apply in my own teaching. I know you're very busy, so it's been great. Thank you so much for your time. That's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Emily Ayub from Clockfire Theatre. I know this has completely changed the way I'm going to approach devising from now on in my classroom. My students are never going to be allowed to sit and talk ever again. If you're looking for more inspiration around facilitating the play building process in your classrooms, keep an eye out for our upcoming professional learning opportunities. This podcast was brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team of Curriculum Secondary Learners, Curriculum and Reform Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. Get involved in the conversation by joining our statewide staff room through the link in the show notes or email our Creative Arts Curriculum Advisor, Catherine Horvat at creativearts7-12 at det .nsw.edu.au The music for this podcast was composed by Jack Ryan from Molong Central School. <laughs>